0: This is a momentous day in our, in our community's history because we're finishing up Paul's second uh, epistle to the Corinthians. So it's been about a year and a half now, I think, since we began First Corinthians, uh, and it has been a wonderful study. Uh, I have certainly profited by it. I hope you have too. I think we all should be built up more and should be encouraged more by having gone through the study of these two books. Now, next week, we're going to begin in Ephesians. Uh, Remember, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians while he was in Ephesus. So uh, there's some some, uh, connection there. So we'll go to Ephesus and we'll see if we can finish up the six chapters of Ephesus by the end of the year. Uh, So look forward to that. You may want to go ahead and begin reading ahead. I don't know yet how far in chapter one I'll get but I'll send email out as soon as I know that and have some discussion questions for us to look at. So this morning we're in, first, in 2 Corinthians 13. We'll look at the scripture there first, and then we'll look at our discussion questions. Second Corinthians 13. This is the third time I am coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warn those who sinned before and all the others, and I warn them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that I could come again, I will not spare them, since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me. He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you, for he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test, but we pray to God that you may not do wrong not that we may appear to have met the test but that you may do what is right even though we may seem to have failed we cannot do anything against the truth but only for the truth for we are glad when we are weak and you are strong your restoration is what we pray for for this reason. I write these things while I am away from you, that when I come, I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are great and greatly to be praised. Uh, We know, Father, that uh, you purpose and that which you have purposed, no one can turn aside. Uh, We thank you that we serve such a God. We thank you for this uh, study that we have been engaged in for many months now, in both 1st and 2nd Corinthians. We thank you for the instruction that we have had there. And Father, I pray now for your presence with us as we look at this last chapter. impress upon our hearts, I pray that you would help us to recall those things that we've studied Uh, about Paul's ministry to the Corinthians, Uh, I think that we can still praise you for the success that he had because he depended not upon himself, but he depended upon you for the power that he needed to engage with the Corinthians and to preach the word of God there. And he gloried in not his, uh, he boasted not in himself, but he boasted in you and in his weakness. And as he tells us here, it is when he is weak that God is strong. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, you may remember, as uh, we've discussed Second Corinthians, that Paul spends the first part of this book sort of recognizing that things have finally changed in Corinth and he recognizes that Titus' return was good news, that whereas the false teachers had moved in and had begun to corrupt the Corinthians and turn them against Paul, that now there has been restoration, and there has been true repentance on the part of the majority of those in Corinth. However, there's still a minority that are clinging to the teaching of the false apostles, and they still have Problems with Paul and that they do not consider him now to be a true apostle. So the first part of the book written to that majority are in uh, because of that majority that has repented. The second half of the book, it seems to be written to those who have not yet repented. And he's writing to them, warning them that he is going to come a third time to them. And this time he will be severe in exercising the authority that he has as an apostle sent to them by God. So with all that in mind, let's look at the questions that I sent to you in email. Question number one says in verse one, Paul says that his coming to Corinth will be the third time he has visited in person. (coughs) Describe his previous two visits to Corinth. And I've given you some Uh, verses there to look at to see when those previous two verses or previous two uh, visits occurred and and where they are mentioned. The first one's real easy. What's the first time that he went? To establish to bring the gospel. Yeah, to bring the gospel to them. Uh, That was his initial visit, wasn't it? And uh, and we read about that in 1 Corinthians, which is written after he's left Corinth. He's in Ephesus when he writes 1 Corinthians, but it describes the things that happened there on that first visit. Now, there was a second visit, and that second visit is not described in Acts. It's not described anywhere in the scripture, although it is alluded to, isn't it? What did you find out that Paul says about the second visit? visit from those verses I gave you he says he's coming a third time so that must there must have been a second yeah time. he says I'm coming to you a third time we know about the first one he's coming a third there must be a second there somewhere okay good yes The indicated that he faced death I'm sorry he, he faced death, faced the death. He, was, he, was, uh, he was threatened with death yes from the Jews Right, okay. He, he had, uh, when he first uh, got there, he had uh, opposition from the Jews, as he usually did. He had opposition also when he was in Asia, between his trips. What else did you see a mention of the second visit? Yes. In Acts 20, when he's in northern Greece, mm-hmm. called Macedonia, and drops down to the earth and goes back up after persecution, is that his third visit, or is that, was that his second visit? Um, well, let's go ahead and look at the, at the verses here, and then we'll, we'll talk about that. Acts 18, uh, 1 through 17, and I'm not going to read all of it. I'll skip some of it. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. So here was the first visit, and he's beginning as he always does. He goes into the synagogue and begins to to preach to them and to give them the gospel of jesus christ proving that he is the messiah that they are waiting for now as usual that creates problems and it created problems here so paul then turns to the gentiles and begins preaching the gospel to them and if we skip down to verse 11 there it tells us and he stayed a year and six months in Corinth, teaching the word of god among them and we read about that in 1 Corinthians, as well as in Acts. Now, 2 Corinthians two one says, I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. This painful visit, we don't really have any detail about, but there are allusions to it in uh, in 2 Corinthians. Uh, Paul says here he doesn't want to make another painful visit. Now remember Paul was in Ephesus and, th- and he's gotten the news about the thing going on in Corinth about the false teachers who have moved in there. And apparently Paul left Ephesus and made a quick trip. It, it would not have been a very long trip to have taken a ship across <coughs> to the Isthmus and he would be right there at Corinth and he visited with them. And things did not go well on that visit and he refers to it as the painful visit and in the literature that's usually what you'll uh hear it called it's the painful visit and here it is mentioned again in second Corinthians 13:2 our passage for today I warn those who sinned before and all the others and I warn them now while absent as I did when present on my second visit that If I come again, I will not spare them. And then as we read on in chapter 13, he says, uh, this is going to be my third visit when I come uh, very shortly to you. So three visits. Um, Don't have a lot of detail about the painful visit other than reading between the lines. It was uh, apparently did not go very well at all. It was not well-received. By the Corinthians, he was certainly not well-received by the false apostles. In fact, that became one of the charges against him, that he was weak and ineffective in person, that he might write strong letters, but in person, he couldn't stand up and hold his own. That was their charge against him. Uh, So that occurred on this painful visit uh, from Ephesus to Corinth and then back to Ephesus again uh, very quickly. By the way, there are three visits, but there are four letters. Do you remember that? Uh, 1 Corinthians is not the first letter to the Corinthians because in 1 Corinthians, he tells us uh, in the previous letter. So it's known as the previous letter. We don't have that. We don't know what was said other than there was a previous letter uh, written from Paul to them, and they answered it with another letter. Then there's 1 Corinthians, and then there is another letter that is referred to only. We do not have it. It's known as the severe letter, but that occurred around the same time as this second visit. And then finally, 2 Corinthians is written, and that's actually the fourth letter written by Paul that we know of to the Corinthians. So that helps a lot to know that, I think, as you're reading Corinthians, to be able to see what it is Paul is talking about and and where this information came from. Question number two. In 13.3, Paul says the Corinthians are demanding proof that Christ is working through Paul. Now, I would say they ought to already have that proof because they can look and see What happened to them? They experienced the fact that Christ is working through them, didn't they? And we've studied this paradox several times in class. What is the astonishing characteristic of Paul's life, ministry, and apostleship that indicate God is indeed working through him? What's that paradox that we find? Yes that the church has been established. That's certainly proof that that Paul was being used by God. And, and that should have been sufficient because of the change that they had experienced themselves. But now the false teachers have moved in and they're questioning whether indeed Christ is working through Paul. But this is a paradox, something, two things that are sort of opposed to each other, yes. Yes, weakness and persecution on the one hand, which looks like failure, doesn't it? But what happens? Paul's ministry is enormously successful, isn't it? The Corinthians the Corinthians. now, we've talked at length about the state that the Corinthians were in <coughs> and the attitude that they had. And the Corinthians were marvelously saved as a result of Paul's ministry, a ministry that grew out of his weakness uh, that he mentioned several times here that we've looked at. Um, The proof that Christ is working through Paul is the results that he obtained. And Paul mentions that. Uh, We'll talk about it some more in a minute. But Paul mentions that uh, several times. 2 Corinthians 1, 1 through 11 says, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul experienced this because God intended to use it uh, to make him rely upon God and not upon himself. Uh, he's the one who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. So here's this strength in the midst of weakness, the paradox. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4 says, in our bodies. Then if we skip down to 15, for it is all for your sake. Uh, That's important for us to recognize that Paul endured all of that for their sake, for the sake of those that God had sent him to minister to the Gentiles. So that, he says, as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. 2 Corinthians twelve seven through 10. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations that he had received, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. He says three times I pleaded with the, with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. It's for the sake of Christ that he endures those things. And then here's the statement that That really sums the whole thing up for when I am weak, then I'm strong, and he's strong because he's been empowered by God. Now, that was especially true in the ministry of the apostle Paul, who was an apostle, he was the messenger of God he had been he had been authorized by God, empowered by God to go and deliver his message, but don't you think that has some? application to us as well, about how God works in our lives. It's when we're the weakest uh, and, and we're we're depending upon God in that weakness. Uh, that's when we become strong because He enables us. And uh, so it's a wonderful example from the life of Paul that is a special case of that, but I think there's a generalized case also for God working through our weakness. Question number three. In 13.5, Paul tells his readers to examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. They ought to know that. I mean, they were there when it happened, weren't they? And Paul's ministry when he first came and he preached the gospel. And uh, and in fact, the the word of what had happened in Corinth had gone out through the Roman Empire. And, and Paul refers to that saying, I don't need letter of recommendation when I go to the next place. All I have to do is, have you heard about Corinth? What happened there? That's my, You're my letter of recommendation um, as I travel around. Because the word of it had spread because it was such a, a marvelous thing that had happened in Corinth. So I I gave you several passages there to review. And uh, what are some of the ways that a person can examine themselves and see if they are in the faith? Now, I don't think we ought to take these things and go saying, hello, Joe over there. This this, this is self-examination. And they're benchmarks. So I gave you several verses there. What are some of the benchmarks of an indication that there's been a change in a person's life, that they're a different person, that they've, that they've uh, been adopted into the family of God? Fruit, fruit. yeah. Fruit is one of those things. There, there, there's going to be fruit. If there's not, uh, there's a reason to, to take stock about that. What else? Loving other believers, that's a big thing. Uh, we, we ought to love the brethren. And that ought to be a characteristic of of all believers, is that we love each other. What else? In Hebrews 3 says, I'm holding fast. Holding know, fast. Yeah, uh, trusting in God. Uh, placing your trust in Him and in Christ and in the work of the Holy Spirit, and holding fast in that. If we look at those verses, some of them, not all of them, Hebrews 3, 6, But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast. That's the trust. We hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Matthew 7:21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, Will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Uh, saying the words Lord, Lord really doesn't mean anything. It's meaning it when we call him Lord. Uh, we make him our Lord, the Lord of our life. And it's the one then who does the will of the Father who is, uh, who is in heaven that is uh, indicative of salvation strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the lord uh, there should be sanctification a growing in the faith a growing and looking and acting uh, more like christ as we go through and i've said many times that we drew a graph of that the graph i'm sure would have down spikes along the way but overall The slope of the line should be up. And over time that is going to be true in the life of the person who has been uh, genuinely converted and is in Christ. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So holiness and purifying oneself. Uh, Here's the fruit. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And then finally in 816, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now as the Corinthians examine themselves as Paul urged them to do here, uh, the first thing is their experience when Paul was there the first time before the false teachers showed up and have created doubts. They have experienced what it means to, to uh, be born again themselves. And then if they examine themselves, are these characteristics of believers true in their lives? Uh, so they should, any number of ways they could have examined themselves and should have known whether or not they were truly in Christ. Paul really here, I think, is making the, uh, the charge that you know, you're acting like you're not. So examine yourself and see whether you are in Christ. And he has confidence, I think, that they are and that they will come around and repent like the majority <laughs> in Corinth have done. Discussion question number four. In 134, the final verse, Paul gives a Trinitarian blessing that should be familiar to all of us. Why is that familiar to all of us? That Trinitarian blessing. You meant to say 1314, right? Yes, I did. Okay. Thirteen fourteen. So what I sent to you, thirteen four? You could figure it out, right? <laughs> it's the final verse. Is that familiar to? Have we heard that somewhere before? You hear that every Sunday, don't we? Uh, What attribute does Paul assign to each member of the Godhead? What are they? The blank of Christ, the blank of the Father, the blank of the Holy Spirit. The grace of the Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and I ask the question, what do these attributes indicate to all believers? First of all, just the verse that he closes with, I think, calls our attention to the fact that the happenings in Corinth and Paul's success there in bringing them to Christ and now his his uh, his... Exercising of his apostleship and, and uh, bringing them through this difficult time, uh, this verse reminds us that it is God who is at work in Corinth throughout the whole uh, throughout the whole years, and it's all three members of the Godhead who are active in Corinth: the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, what does this indicate? As far as believers are concerned, because this is true of for all believers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. What does that say for us? I heard something. Yeah. God works the same way uh, today as he was in Corinth. That's all three members of the Godhead are involved in our salvation. These verses that I gave to you, 2 Corinthians 8 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Christ was willing to leave his place in heaven. Uh, That's called the condescension. He condescended to become man. He was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He did that certainly not for himself, but he did that to pay the penalty for our sins, not for his own sins. And he did that by his grace. There was no reason in us why he should have been willing to do that. That's a marvelous expression here. He was rich, he became poor, in order that we who were poor might become rich because we are now adopted into the family of God. Romans 5, 6 through 8 uh, describes the love of God. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, but one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, God did not say, get right and then I'll save you. Be good, become holy, be obedient, do what I say, And then I'll save you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. It's the grace of Christ in dying for our sins, and it's the love of God in sending him to do that. And then finally, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body Jews or Greeks, slaves or free and all were made to drink of one spirit. This is the fellowship of the spirit. Uh, It it says here that it's one spirit. All of us were baptized into one body and it is Jew and Greek and slave and free. Elsewhere, it's male and female. It's uh, rich and poor. There are categories, are people from every category on earth who are brought into one body together, uh, into the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And notice that it's that it's both a vertical uh, fellowship and a horizontal uh, fellowship. Um, we all have fellowship with God. Uh, we're adopted into his family, but we also have fellowship with each other. Uh, wonderful thing about this church is the, is the fellowship that we have with each other uh, as we pray for each other and we help each other in our infirmities and our weaknesses. And God uses that uh, to display his power in us to do that. So grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit At work throughout from the first day Paul arrived in Corinth until the end of his third visit in Corinth. God was at work there. All three members of the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Well, here's the outline for chapter 13. Uh, Paul, first, yes. Yeah, I wanted to go back because Keith had a really important point. Okay. In Acts 20, in the beginning there, which talks about Paul visiting Corinth for three months. That, that was the visit. Yeah. I didn't hear that. In Acts 20, if yeah. you look at it, it talks about Paul visiting Corinth for three months. Three months, and okay. And that suggests it was the actual second visit. And in one of the notes in the study Bible suggests the second visit is written after that visit. That is what? It was written after that visit. Okay. Also talks about the the Jews okay, yeah, very good. We shall have a lot of detail. One uh, what, what of the problems with taking that verse to be res- with respect to the, the second visit is then we have no record of the third visit. So that's kind of the like conundrum. If you take it as the second vi- visit, you get a late dating of the letter. If you take it as a third visit, you get an early dating of the visit. There's a massive amount of faith, but the, the issue we should be aware of is so if we do take it as being the third or the second visit, then we have no record of the third visit. So either way, we're missing uh, a visit somewhere. So. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Acts does not tell us everything. It, it just does not tell us anything. everything that happened. Uh, so it, uh, uh, Luke carefully picked the instances that he wanted to... Uh, write about an axe in order to convey the information that that he was intending to obey, obey and uh, uh, to convey to us and think how big Acts would be if we <laughs> carry around our Bibles might, might have to have a wheelbarrow uh, if everything was written there so we know there were at least three visits and uh, because they're alluded to And uh, two of them explicitly, the third one anticipated and then uh, discussed in Acts. And uh, so three letters don't have a lot of information about the second one, uh, visits rather, second visit. Okay, outline. Paul warns the Corinthians in 13, 1 through 4. He appeals to the Corinthians in 5 through 10. And then Paul blesses the Corinthians in 11 through 14 well my clock says it's about time for us to wrap it up so I won't go through all of that uh, I'm sure you've all read through uh, 2 Corinthians 13 uh, this has been a wonderful study in in, uh, in both Corinthians uh, books and I think the thing that we ought to take away from it is in that uh Third point, Paul blesses the Corinthians. He makes some final greetings there. And then he closes out with that wonderful Trinitarian blessing that reminds us again that it is God who was active in, the, in what happened in Corinth. And it was all three members of the Godhead who were active in it. So here's what I think is a good takeaway uh, for our study in Corinth. Uh, I'm a R E, not a T E, so I'm not allowed to, uh, to bless. What? I know. I know you got your eye on me. But maybe we can just say this together, okay? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So, wonderful thing to end our study of Corithon. Uh, Next week again, we'll be in Ephesians. Go ahead and read Ephesians 1, and uh, I'll send email during the week uh, telling you exactly what we'll study next Sunday. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you again for this study. I I pray that you would help us to uh, take the things that we've read about, apply them to our own lives. I pray that you would work in us uh, by your Holy Spirit. I pray that we all might experience and understand and, and know and be amazed by that grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, your love for us in sending him for us and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit uh, and his working in us. Uh, we thank you for all of these things. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.